0: Friends, this is Morgan Snyder, and welcome back to another episode of the Become Good Soil podcast. For this episode, there is a topic that I have been deeply excited to talk about. Some big ideas to bring that have been curated and distilled in my heart. It's something I've been wrestling with for 15 years. But particularly in the last two years, God has made it a real focus of frontier for my masculine initiation. It was something that was very formative to me in a particular way this last December and this last January. But it feels like only now has there been kind of release to distill it into a podcast and bring it to this tribe for honest and hopeful consideration as we walk as deeper apprentices in the kingdom of God, I want to talk about an unprecedented time in which we live, and it has nothing to do with COVID-19. It's really important that COVID-19 will amplify it, will express it, but in fact, there is an unprecedented reality never before seen in human history that we find ourselves, but it is so familiar to our everyday life, it has become unfamiliar. I want to return to some ancient scriptures just by way of context, kind of 30,000 feet for this conversation. There are these voices of returning to life that speak, the voices of the prophets in the ancient text. Jeremiah has this fascinating statement that in some ways you can use to interpret almost all of human experience. He's speaking the voice of God that says, my people have committed two sins. They have forsaken me, the spring of living water, and they have dug Their own cisterns broken cisterns that cannot hold water that's from Jeremiah chapter 2 verse 13 it's fascinating to just think about where we look to find life and how we try to make it last so much of the human experience the human dilemma can be wrapped up can be embodied in this idea that we have forsaken springs of living water And we dig our own cisterns, our own ways of manufacturing life, engineering smallness, making life work on our terms, and those are leaky vessels. There's another comment in this ancient text written and penned by the prophet Isaiah. And in some ways, it can be the most important verse that we can ever allow to permeate our soul in our masculine initiation and our interpretation of reality. There's this fascinating literature and discourse that happens through Isaiah 44 and 45 and 46. And Isaiah cries out at one point where he says these simple five words, no one stops to think. Friends, this was penned 3,000 years ago. But if there's anything you take from this podcast for your formation and your apprenticeship in kingdom living, I would urge you to hold on to these words. They were brought to me by a mentor in September or October of 1998. And it was then, now looking back over two decades, that they were seared in my soul as a way of correcting an incorrect. Way of living that has led me to ever deeper life. Isaiah is talking in this discourse about the realities that there is a creator and then there is his creation, there is his work, there is what he has breathed and born into existence, and that's us. The analogy is as a craftsman who, from the gifts of God and the capacities embodied in him, to enact God's heart and God's caring creation. He makes things. He crafts things. There's a craftsman that out of wood fashions really helpful creations and really beautiful creations. And then he also fashions an idol and he turns to it. And from his own hands, he creates a thing and worships the thing. He turns to the thing to provide him life rather than looking beyond the thing to the person of God that created all things. And so this whole discourse is this beautiful call back to away from idolatry, away from making life work on our own and seeding our heart back into the living God. But Isaiah stops us in our thinking and in our moving and in our doing and in our short-sightedness by simply saying those five words. No one stops to think. And so what I want to do with you today is to pause and back up and allow those five words to stop us in our tracks. What if we were to stop and think, to think fresh, to think with wisdom's long view, and to think with a revelatory posture about the times in which we live? Where are we in the story? And how did we get here? And how does that inform us as to how we are to interpret our life and live into tomorrow? I want to think first a little history. When did humans populate the Earth? Okay, there's all kinds of speculation and historical data that suggests different theories, but many people would say that humans entered the story of creation some 200,000 years ago, 400,000 years ago. Some people, with a very conservative view, would say it's simply thousands of years ago that humans entered the story. And there's scientific evidence to suggest that it's of the former, it's much longer. But regardless, we can understand That humans have been on the earth, have inhabited creation for many thousands of years. And up to 3,200 BC, we were a nomadic tribal society of hunters and gatherers. It was subsistence living. Life expectancy was very low. Somewhere in the realm of average life expectancy was in the early 20s when someone became a grandparent food which was a precious commodity for survival was protected and preserved for the youngest children for survival and so grandparents uh didn't live long and and life expectancy was very very short compared to modern age so you had humanity as hunters and gatherers the first big shift that happened in 3200 BC was a shift to an agrarian culture in ancient Mesopotamia. We became farmers and there was a major change in civilization. Farming allowed people to set a permanent civilizations and more food allowed for more lives to be sustained, for life expectancy to increase, for quality of life to increase. And for some luxuries to be created beyond survival. So you have all of human history to 3,200 BC, and then you have this major shift. And friends, what's so important is relatively speaking, there was very little change in human history from 3,200 BC to 1700 AD. So we're talking about roughly four to 5,000 years. Even as we became farmers, there was very little change. And then something in the 1700s happened that radically changed and shaped humanity. And in 1700s, this was the birth of the Industrial Revolution and the beginning of what we can name as exponential change. Iron and steel was created. The internal combustion engine was created. Transportation was radically changed. Communication radically changed. Weaponry was radically changed. There was a spread of the industrial revolution out of Western Europe. But what's so important to see is even that spread took a great deal of time. It took a decade for it to move just through parts of Western Europe. It took a Decade for it to cross over and begin to go into Eastern Europe. It was five decades before the Industrial Revolution Reached Asia and so it's just really helpful to understand though. There was rapid change in Culture and society it still was slow in progressing but something happened in that age that marked all of humanity That age is the beginning of what I would say that we are in the throes of in the most general sense, and it's an age of exponential change. So all of humanity, whenever humans, beginning with Adam and Eve, came onto the scene, to the agrarian shift at 3200 BC, and then to 1700 AD, from agrarian to the industrial revolution, there was very little change in human experience, relatively speaking. But now we are in an age of exponential change. And as fellow shapers, as fellow leaders, what I would contend is that if there's one image that I could hold up to understand our age. It would be this graph, and you can see it in the podcast post associated with this podcast, but it's a simple, simple graph with quantity on the y-axis and time on the x-axis. And there's two different graphs depicted on this, and one would be linear. So you basically have a graph that is a constant rate of change. So you add two units of time, and you get quantity, two units of increase. You add four units of time, you get quantity, two units of increase. So if you picture a graph, it's a line, it's straight, and it comes out at a 45 degree angle or less. The second line, the key line to understand our time, our unique time in history, is an exponential growing curve. It's a graph that as time increases, the quantity increases exponentially. So it's a curve that rises and rises quickly to infinity. And many of you may be familiar with the most practical example of how exponential growth has been explained or compounding interest when it comes to understanding economics. It's been suggested that if you were to fold a piece of paper in half 40 times, so take one piece of paper, fold it in half, take that same piece of paper, fold it in half. The question proposed is how thick would that paper be after 40 folds? And the answer is the thickness of that paper, that single paper folded 40 times would go from here to the moon. Okay, so just pause and think about that. A piece of paper folded in half, folded in half, folded in half times 40, Folds would go from here to the moon. It's an illustration of exponential change. Linear change is completely different than exponential change. And never in the history of humanity since our creation, since the birth of man and woman, has there been an age of exponential change. And if we are to understand our times, if we are to grasp and grow in wisdom and revelation with how to interpret our times and live as men and women who are maturing in wholeheartedness and union with God and maturing in our capacity to steward that what's been entrusted to our care, we need an interpretive grid beyond the short-sighted view of what we were born into. We have to see what we were born into in the context of the greater story of all humanity. On the podcast post for this, you'll see examples of these exponential curves, these unprecedented times, never before experienced in human history. And these aren't just reaching back from 3,200 BC. I, I have some graphs borrowed from Richard Swenson that reach from simply the last hundred years or the last thousand years. Some of these graphs are simply about the last decade. And that's what I mean where this shift of exponential has been turning upwards since 1700 AD, but now it's so steep, the rate of change, it's moving towards an infinite scale. And so even with something like COVID-19, we see the impact of the, the revolution of technology and the way our communication is being changed with digital and virtual communication, it's it's literally changing by the day and by the week in ways that it used to take a year and a decade and where it used to take a 100 years for that level of change. When we think of life expectancy, as I said, it used to be 20 to 25 years old, and now just over the last Hundreds of years, about 200 years, it has increased dramatically. The ability for explosive weapons to cause harm to a larger group of people, global economy, unprecedented growth, the global community, and the number of connections is of exponential change. Global politics, exponential change, mobility, global computing. You can watch the great documentary, Bill Gates' Brain. It's very fascinating to see how computers have exponentially grown just over the last two decades. Speed of travel, amount of information, cost of healthcare, government debt, power of weapons, world population. There are many more, but what I want to simply name to stay at 30,000 feet is what has most changed in our world is the rate of change. We can summarize it this way. It's more and more, faster and faster. See, that's what progress gives us, more and more, faster and faster. And here's what's so important. Every country in the world has stacked its hands on a commitment to progress. Now please understand, progress is not a bad thing in and of itself, just like money is not a bad thing in and of itself. If a nation does not have clean water, healthy sanitation, if it does not have good food sources, if it does not have consistent shelter, bodily protection, then it is in dire need of improvement and progress. But progress has a limiting rate of return and progress, like many other curves, it's, it's a bell curve, it's an arc that more makes life better in the short term. But as we add more, eventually it's a diminishing marginal return until finally that curve turns downward and it actually becomes a negative utility. And so what I want to suggest is that we live in a world that worships. That idolizes progress. It's the upgrade of everything. It's more and more, faster and faster. That's what we were born into. And it's become so exponential that the world in which our grandchildren will be born into, if Christ doesn't return before then, will be so utterly different than the world that their grandchildren are born into, in many ways it will be unrecognizable. It will be that much different than the rate of change that happened just from our life to our grandparents. So what I want to name is two things have happened in this reality of exponential change. One is that it's become habitualized. In other words, it's our normal. We think the upgrade of everything is normal. We think that there should be a new iPhone with better features next year. We think that it's better to have a car that's more automated than the car we have and that the car is far better than the horse. We assume that more is better. We have come to habitualize it and we have become addicted to progress. I just confess, I am not that allured by technology. I'm just not interested. And yet, when I find that somebody gets a new version of what I have that now has become the old thing, it's simply less attractive. I was thinking about uh, purchasing an iPad because of just the, the, the need of using so much technology nowadays with Zoom and living most of my life on a screen. And I noticed that a friend had gotten a newer iPad before I could even purchase the iPad. I thought, I don't want that old crappy iPad. When well, in the meantime, like iPads didn't exist 10 years ago. And like we had to look things up in a book for heaven's sakes. I remember when shopping on the internet came out and I thought who in the world is going to buy a piece of clothing from the internet that you would normally have to try on. It's just madness how much we are habitualized and addicted to the rate of change being exponential and progress being normalized in our age. And what's happened with the exponential growth as a way of living is we have exponentially taken on a load that exceeds our limits. And so what I wanna name to get to the idea in this podcast is margin is the space between our load and our limits. It's very simple. What is your capacity, your capacity emotionally, your capacity financially, your capacity relationally, and what are the limits that are reasonable, that are healthy, that are sustainable. And as progress grows exponentially, The press against the demands and the load increases so much that we are all being driven to a without margin life where our load exceeds our limits. Here's what's so important, friends. Our souls have never changed. The nature of a soul, the need of a soul, the capacity of a soul, and what I even want to argue, and this is a tough one, but... I even want to suggest that if anything, the capacity of the soul is being diminished by living in a world that's constantly competing for our attention and our affection, which I'll get to in a moment. But if anything, it's being diminished. And so when you have a soul that hasn't changed in its need, in its capacity, in its longings, in its nature since Adam and Eve, but you have a world that's unprecedented, that literally represents, in the most conservative measurements, 1.5% of human history. I did the math, and if you take the very most conservative worldviews of when humans came on the earth, we are talking about a time in history that represents 1.5% of all the time humans have been on the earth. If you take a liberal view of people being in existence for 400,000 years, we're talking about .0001 percent of time on the earth and so you take these scales and we begin to read the scriptures and visit them from the perspective of exponential change these scriptures were written to us in a world that looks so dramatically different than the world in which we find ourselves like almost zero correlation relatively speaking. And yet we find these verses like Paul in Romans 13 saying, make sure friends do not get so absorbed and exhausted in taking care of all your day-to-day obligations, that you lose track of time, that you doze off and you become oblivious to God. It's almost like Paul is writing about texting, about Zoom calls, about email. Right? Those things were of no existence to Paul. These people were slow, and they had rhythm. They had seasons of fallow for land and for life. They walked from place to place. They lived in a world that had no engines, no mechanical sounds of an internal combustion engine. They had no steel. They had no plastic. You think about that. And here Paul's saying is, Don't get exhausted in taking care of all your day-to-day obligations, that your soul goes to slumber, that you become oblivious to God. He says, the night is over, friends. Dawn is about to break. Be awake to what God is doing. And so, friends, what I want to name is the soul hasn't changed. Our capacity hasn't changed. The story hasn't changed but we have ruthlessly eliminated margin in our lives, and that trend is not only increasing, but it is increasing exponentially so. Your children's battle will be far greater than yours to live a life that is soul-centered, a life of breathing, a life of intimacy with God, a life of human connection. And here's what I want to suggest today, that margin, this space that is intended to exist between our load, our capacity, and our limits is first and foremost where we encounter God. It's where we cultivate friendship with God. It's where we cultivate union with God. It's where we receive integration of our souls. It's where we come to be curious about God's direction, his particular leading for our lives. You know, it's been said that we are created in the image of God and we want the very same things God wants in our true self. That's a fascinating idea that in the trueness of our nature, We want to be known as God wants to be known. We want to be loved as God wants to be loved. We want to love as God wants to love. It's in margin. It's the in-between. It's the space and the pause I want to suggest is the first and foremost where we encounter God. And I want to suggest that that's primarily through these two things, our attention and our affection. I believe that in this age, this age of exponential change, that the last great frontier is for our attention and our affection. And the result of progress, the result of a culture that's saturated in more and more of everything, faster and faster, our souls become increasingly fatigued. They become increasingly fragmented on a deep, deep level. Where we were called to cultivate affection, we become so fatigued that we can't even maintain our gaze on God long enough to get to know him, to hear his voice, and to go into deep places. And where we were called to cultivate attention, we've become so fragmented that just pieces of us... just just get dissolved and broken off. And there's just so little of us left to turn to God. And in that lack of capacity to unite with God, that lack of attentiveness to God, the lack of affection to God, we lose the very resources that were intended to grow and mature us so that we can contend with all the other things that we struggle with. And so what I wanna ask is how do we stop? How do we recover life? And how do we return to who and what we were intended to become? Friends, God comes disguised in our life. He comes sneaking in through people and places and things. And if you've walked with me at all, you know that I have said this before, that every unprecedented time also comes with it an unprecedented opportunity. And I believe an unprecedented provision from God, some supernatural capacity where God says, son, daughter, for such a time as this, I will lead you. I will infuse you with the capacity to make the impossible possible, to live against the grain of what is embattling and causing bondage to most people in the present age. And so my question is, where do we go with this? You know, complex problems require complex solutions. I've been seeking out uh, mentorship with Richard Swenson, the godfather of the kingdom in margin. He wrote the book Margin along with other beautiful books that he's penned, all of which I've been immersing myself in over this past six months. I've had delightful conversations with Richard and I've asked him these honest struggles because this is my frontier right now to really step into what does it look like to recover my attention, to recover my affection, to live a supernatural life where my load is actually less than my limits. And I am increasing a capacity, a space, in all my resources to cultivate the acquaintance of God, to go to ever deeper places with him. And so I've been having these conversations with Richard, and he is a holy, holy man. He was a physician who was wrestling with this question of why are people carrying so much stress on their face? His patients as a physician, fellow doctors, and he, is an, he would name himself an integrationist, a futurist. And finally, he simply had to quit his job with two young children at the time and take a part-time teaching job so that he could give himself fully to wrestling with this dilemma. What is the problem? And what is the solution? And that's when, as the godfather of margin, he, he saw the universal theme, unique to our age, that progress was killing the souls of people. More and more, faster and faster, was no longer serving most people in our age. He was very humble in these conversations. And one of the things he just named is, it's very complex, and complex problems require complex solutions. He ejected it 1984. And so in an exponential age, that was a lifetime ago. And he said it was nearly impossible, but it was possible. He went to a part-time job and a part-time salary to try to live with margin, a with God life. He spoke over 2,500 times on these ideas of margin and how to recover a life of soul. He said, if you want to live with margin, he was sharing. He said, don't adopt kids because adoption has gotten woefully complicated. Now, please understand that actually wasn't his counsel. What he was saying is that's the dilemma. He has a son going through an adoption process and it was so complex. It was so expensive. It was nearly impossible. He said, if you want to live with margin, don't get sick because the medical system is so broken and it's so overburdened overtaxed so expensive that it's become unmanageable and there is no simple solution by any person or political party to fix the medical system and so what he was crying out was mercy mercy in an exponential age there are things that cannot be controlled and it is a woefully difficult time to live a soul-centered life i share that with compassion And I share that with promise that there is more available and God is not deterred. Friends, God knows, God knows our hearts. He is not deterred and he will be faithful to us in our age. And so as I sat with Richard, he offered four ideas as framework. As I poured out my heart to him and said, I am struggling Richard, help me, help me. How do I navigate this world? In this age and he offered these four ideas that I want to offer to you by way of reflection he said first we must follow the counsel of Isaiah where he says we must discern the times and Jesus echoed that in Matthew 16 where he says you know how to interpret the weather and the signs in the sky but you don't know how to interpret the signs of the times right he's speaking to the Pharisees he says you look to the West and you see storm clouds and you say huh Looks like it's going to rain. And yet here, the times are right before you, and you cannot understand them. God has come. And so he said, it is very critical as a leader, as a shaper, to pause the moving, the doing, the tree in front of you, and back up to the forest, and consider your considerations. Rethink your thinking what are the times in which you live? We must step out of our culture, step out of our view of reality so that we can understand what that view of reality is. So rather than simply assuming this is normal, what are you doing to discern the times? The second thing he said is we must do something. In other words, we must engage the practices. I wrote about that idea in chapter 8 of becoming a king titled becoming deeply rooted there are practices that we must engage in every day that allow us to make those shifts to do what's in our power to access what we cannot create in our own power right grace is god acting and the disciplines are what we can do to give us access to what we cannot do i planted some very small pine tree saplings in my yard this year. And what I have done in my power is go out every morning and water those trees. And watching the water saturate the soil, it's an act that allows God to come to me and say, I'm doing this in you in this moment today. And so the chapter, Becoming Deeply Rooted, will really help in laying out just a framework of what is it that you're doing in your power. What I appreciate about Richard's counsel in this was... He said that when you are in overload, so let's say that in your resources, emotionally, physically, financially, you are at 130% of your capacity. When you take actionable steps to start cutting back, if you go from 130% to 120%, that's a huge victory and it still feels like crap. When your load exceeds your limits, you are not healthy. But you are healthier than you were. And so he was so compassionate to say, friends, you have to celebrate. You have to celebrate the small victories. It is the slow and steady. It is the two degree shifts. Most of the apprenticeship in the kingdom does not happen in these huge, miraculous moments. Some do, but most is in the dailies. The dailies, the moments stack up to become a decade. The decades become a lifetime. The lifetime becomes our eternity. And so friends, there are things you can do today. Small choices to pause, to breathe. Choices to do less, to say no. Choices to walk a lap around your building at work, around your home. Choices in your prayer life to stop and listen. One mentor said, one of the most important parts of praying is to stop praying. To simply be here with God, get curious, get attentive. And so number two was do something, engage in the practices. And, and he said it this way. He he said in all of his books, he's written some, I believe he said like 600 practices. He said, pick four just pick four. There there was kindness and fatherly counsel in his voice. So be kind to yourself and understand it's worth celebrating. There are short-term victories, and they do add up over time. The third kind of big idea that he suggested in framing is we must rest. Our souls must find rest, not in getting out of the mess of our age, not in undoing A world of exponential change but first it must rest in the sovereignty of god that's why these scriptures like the scripture that says i the lord formed the light and created darkness i bring prosperity and i create disaster i the lord do all these things in isaiah 45 in that discourse those kind of scriptures these scriptures that just proclaim the sovereignty of god were meant to invite our souls to root in that which cannot be shaken, that which cannot be changed, that which we are not responsible for and that which is good and right for our soul. At the end of this world, God will prevail. Isaiah 46 says, my purpose will stand and I will do what I please. Oh friends, it's so hopeful to know at the end of the age, God will prevail. His way will have its way and we can rest in the sovereignty of God. And so long as we are not resting in God's sovereignty, it becomes fundamentally up to us. And so whatever else we do that's in our power, as we cultivate the practice of praying into God's sovereignty, resting into God's sovereignty, receiving God's sovereignty, that's where I believe we will most grow our affection. We cannot love what we do not trust and we do not value. And friends, God will increase our affection for him as we rest in the goodness of his heart that is unshakable, but we must return to it with regularity. And so my question to you is, how are you practicing resting in the sovereignty of God? And fourth and finally, just for this time, I wanna offer the fourth idea he offered to me, and that was one of transcendence. And I would name words synonymous with this as curiosity and attention. So Richard was really speaking into my soul indirectly, the recovery of the attention and affection in these ideas of sovereignty and transcendence. Where Richard says, At the end, we must not only rest in the sovereignty of God, but our gaze must be lifted. We literally must find our countenance lifting up to God. That's why I love the prayer of blessing. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May he make his face shine upon you. May he lift up his countenance to you and grant you peace. It's literally face to face, eye to eye, soul to soul. We were designed to lift our countenance up to the living God, to look not into the things of this world, but to fix our gaze on the one who transcends the brokenness of our age. Colossians says, pursue the things over which Christ presides says, don't shuffle along, eyes to the ground, absorbed with the things right in front of you. Look up. Be alert to what is going on around God and his kingdom. That's where the action is. See things from God's perspective. Friends, it is a lifeline to pause and to quit our relentless shuffling along, eyes to the ground, absorbing with the things right in front of you. I confess how often... So much of my day can be a reaction to just what's dropping into the top of my inbox and just trying to fend it off like like a tennis ball machine on a court and just whacking balls because there's so much coming through all of these mediums of text and email and Slack. And yet God says, don't start there cultivate the practice of seeing things from God's perspective. And friends, it's a prayer of a warrior, it's the prayer of a king, a prayer of a man who's becoming when we can say, God, what is your perspective on this? I'm right in the in the frontier with my initiating my daughter on this. I have so many questions. All of my exclamation points have been thrown out. Most of my periods have been thrown out. I have mostly question marks going, God, how do I do this? What's your perspective? How do I shepherd her heart into the more? Where am I overdoing it? Where am I underdoing it? Show me what your path is for my daughter's initiation into mature, wholehearted womanhood. How do we lift our attention? So friends, I want to stop there and think together started with that image that I really want to entrust to your care, the image of linear change compared to exponential change. I want to propose that we are living in the age of exponential change, and that matters more than most things in how we interpret the times, how we discern the times, and how we understand how is it that we are supposed to live. So I wanna leave you with three questions for your consideration. Margin. I want you to think, just observe about the reality and your belief about load versus limit. First of all, just a snapshot in your world today and this week and this year. Friends, just think with me about margin, the space that is intended to exist between our load and our limits, our capacity and our limits. How much are you in overload? Where do you have more burden than you have capacity? What have you come to believe about margin based on your actions? Secondly, attention and affection. I want you to simply observe, think over the last year, think over the last five years, think over the last decade, what has happened to your attention and your affection? If you need a little practice to observe, pick up a book, any book, see how long you can read that book without thinking about other things, without doing any other things, without checking a mobile device, without writing notes, without wandering, and wonder how long that attention is compared to how it was five years ago. What has happened to your attention? What has happened to your affection? Friends, I was deeply convicted on this. There were two moments in my last year. One happened at the very end of May in 2019, and the other happened just about a month ago back in the National Forest both times I had carved out space to stop and settle into a soul's portion and a soul's pace. And in both of those times, what I had to confess is I I lost the romance. There was something that happened in my soul in the mid 1990s where I fell in love with God. He became my affection He became my attention. It was, I was consumed with love for God. And in these decades, I have worked hard for God. And in a lot of ways I've worked with God, but also my attention and affection have been diffused. And part of me has lost the romance, lost the intimacy. And in both of those moments this past year, the father was just so loving and so generous saying, son, I'm here son, I've always been here, there's a way back. There's a way back and he romanced me, mothering me through beauty and nourishment and comfort and God fathering me through the abundance of nature and wild spaces and wild animals and wild weather. There was a returning and so what I wanna ask is what's happened to your attention and your affection and what does God want to say about that the third question i want to leave you with is what if this life in which we find ourselves is not normal friends we have an amazing capacity to adapt and that is a gift from god thank you that is for survival we were given an amazing capacity to adapt to a new normal for survival But if we are to ever mature, we must understand that our capacity for adapting also has limitations in our fallen nature. We come to accept things as normal that are far from normal. We come to accept things that seem ordinary, that are far from ordinary. I want to suggest that where we are in human history, this expression of what life looks like as a human in our culture is somewhere between 1.5% and 0.0001% of all of human history. And so with that, I ask the question, what if this is not normal, really? What if most of what we see when we see our reality is unprecedented? And what if margin could save the world? What if margin was intended to be a direction and a path towards recovering the gospel in our age and offering margin to others, financial margin, emotional margin, soul-filled margin, relational margin, providing an on-ramp for our own souls, for our families, for our communities to recover life? What if we could recover a little bit more of our attention? What if we could recover a little more of our affection? What if margin could save the world? God, that's a lot. And so to honor you, God, with my friends, I want to not fill all the space. I want to pause. I want to breathe. And I want to invite you to settle us into these questions. God, I want to become a discerner of the times. I want to see life from your perspective. I want to risk cultivating even more practices, small and heroic today, that allow me to recover the life that is truly life. I want to rest in your sovereignty to trust that many are the plans in the heart of a man but it's the purposes of god that will prevail and i can rest in your strength i can rest in your care and i can choose to see the one who sees me god i choose to draw strength from Transcendence and looking to you, not shuffling along with my eyes to the ground, absorbed in the demands right in front of me. I choose to lift my countenance to see your countenance. I choose to look up with my body and with my soul to what's going on in you and with you and for you to see where the true action is taking place. God, I want to be among the few, the gospel made available to all, but only a response made by a few in every generation that say, I choose to stop and think. I choose to align my normal with what you, God, say is normal. I ask that you would illuminate my soul and my mind and my imagination to see more clearly that we live in an unprecedented time. And I pray, God, that you would increase my capacity to see your unprecedented opportunities and to receive by your grace the unprecedented provision, a supernatural power that infuses my mind, infuses my calendar, infuses my day, and infuses this decade. God, I confess I want to become even more of your student, even more of your son. I want to become even more your warrior. I want to become even more your king, the kind of king to whom you are glad to entrust more of the care of your kingdom. I breathe you in. And I breathe out the weight. I breathe in your pace. And I breathe out the busy. I breathe in your abundance. I breathe out scarcity. And God, I choose to become one who stops to think. I choose to become more and more the kind of person that does not forsake springs of living water. I ask that you would break the cisterns that I have dug that no longer hold water. God, I pray that you would open the gates of my kingdom to receive the river of life afresh. God, that I would come to the bottom below where the gravity can lead your river of life to pour into the gates of my kingdom and what you've entrusted to my care. I ask that the river would flow, that you would saturate my soul, that you would saturate every place that's cynical, You would saturate every part of me that's fearful. You would saturate the parts in me that are lonely. You would saturate the parts of me that have grown independent. God, I pray that you would saturate my soul and that it would be imbued with the life of God, that I would rise and rise again with increasing strength, increasing vibrancy, increasing confidence that you have started something in me and you love to finish what you have started. And so I say, come God, come on this day, meet me, meet my friends. You are our King and our God. We choose to trust you in these times and in every way. Amen. Friends, it's an honor and it's a privilege to walk with you into the deeper places of the kingdom of God. There's so much more coming. I've got great interviews that I've been working on with uh, the like-hearted men and women out there. Got more teaching and some great uh, blogs and podcasts coming your way. So thank you for your heart in this. I covet your prayers and I stand with you as one. Let's keep going.